want to thank you, Rock, for thinking about me on my birthday. Wow. Well, I turned 40 on Tuesday. Wow. And, uh, you know, we had, we had a little get-together last night. I want to thank the Allens for hosting that uh, great party. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, really, it really moved me last night. It was really touched in many, many ways. Um, just with uh, you guys and celebrating a time. Uh, you know, I've been here 11 years. Wow. And, uh, you know, you, you guys have seen me grow up. Uh, with you know, and having no kids, to having kids, and having kids together, and um, I think it was very special last night. I got to uh, see disciples interact with my family, my dad, and my, my brother, and my mother, and I'm sure you had some laughs. And uh, now you know it, it explains a lot about me uh, when you meet them. Uh, it was really, really uh, encouraging uh, to just to see uh, you guys having a good time. Um, you know, we had a little karaoke machine there last night, and God revealed God revealed hearts. I mean, I mean, you all, you all knew I couldn't sing; that was a no-brainer. But uh, you know, those others, I was like, "Whoa, that's pretty good." Come on! So I was like, "Come on, where's Blackbird?" Um, you know, it was just really touching. And then, uh, you know, this this last night, it was opening uh, just the cards and just uh, you know, just reading them. Yeah, just one by one. You know, you feel so encouraged. You don't want the night to end. You know what I mean? You want, the, you want that feeling to live on forever. And, and being a Christian, it does live on. But just that moment, you feel like, wow, I, I, you know, becoming a Christian, I, there was some things I had to give up in life. And, and it's true what Jesus said. You give back 20, 100 times fold of what you were able to sacrifice to follow the teachings of Jesus. It was just clear to me. I'm on. it's true with what he said. You know, um, you guys are some of my best relationships in the church right here. Um, and I make it a point to be close to you because, you know, we're, we're on the fringe. We're on the, we're on the, we're on the, we're on the, the, the frontier of, of something new and great. And I wanted my best relationships to be here. And I'm glad. Um, I was really touching this morning. I read some of your funny and meaningful little uh, things, that your favorite things about me. Thanks, Habanero. I appreciate that, Luz. It's funny. Uh, but why I, I discovered this morning, uh, my father, you know, my father doesn't say much to us as kids. He wasn't, wasn't a man of many words, but it's funny. He says many words to other people, but very few to us. Uh, that's just kind of how it is sometimes. But, uh, you know, he came to, uh, uh, I think uh, one soccer game when I was in, when I played college soccer, he came to one match. And, uh, you know, after the, I thought I played pretty well, and he, and he, and he came back and he says, ah, you can, you can play a little bit. And I was like, that's it? <laughs> and uh, the card last night I read this morning was, um, he wrote, his favorite memory of him was watching me play at, in that particular game, that he said, I was the Messi, let's Lionel Messi, of the day. And he never, like, expressed that in words to me. So I was like, I was like wow, it's an encouraging thing that he wrote down. And my mom's was when I was five years old and my grandma was dying of cancer in her last uh, hours of life. Um, I snuck into the, her hotel, I mean her hospital room, from the waiting room while my mom was in there. And I gave her a little, little gift I made at school for her. And I put it in her hand and, and she had passed away with that in her hand. And I, I barely remember that. I mean, I remember going in there, but I remember that so meaningfully. I mean, as an adult, I don't, I don't remember all the emotions, but it really touched my mother. And she wrote that in what, one of her favorite memories of me. You know, it was, uh, it was just really touching. So I wanted to say a big thank you.
to all of you for being a part of that. You know, you know. Not only is it was it my birthday, but you know, in our nation, it's Jesus's birthday. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Not technically, but we're going to celebrate it anyway. Happy birthday! And uh, you know, Santa Claus, the whole kit and caboodle. When you think about, if you have children, sending your child into harm's way, it's not something that you do naturally. You know, if you lose sight of your child at the playground, you freak out, right? Yeah. I mean, knowingly sending your son into harm's way is very challenging. You know, we get, we get choked up and we get broken hearted when our children are, get, get injured. Yeah. Or when you see their first black eye. You guys saw my black eye in the picture, right? That was nice. People ask me, where did it come from? I swung a baseball at a kickball and boom, boom, black eye. <laughs> the weirdest things happen to me. Yeah, you laugh now, but I was crying all the way home. My dad gets, he looks at me, he stares at me for a second, walks to the fridge, comes back and puts a piece of meat on my cheek. So sit down on the couch for a while, son. I was like, okay, dad. I thought I was going to die that day. You know, God was concerned about us that he put his child, his son, in harm's way. Because he was so willing to gather us. He thought, if I just send my son, they'll listen to him. And that was the idea. And we like the idea of baby Jesus, do we not? I mean, we like the idea. Baby Jesus' car, it's awesome. He's easy to love. We're grateful for baby Jesus. That's right. We're in love with him. But do you really like what he had to say when he grew up? There's a big difference between little baby Jesus who ain't going to say nothing to you to the Jesus, the man, the Lord speaking to you. It's a different dynamic. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 20. We're going to look at a concept. And this is just after Jesus clears the temple and the, 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 the religious priests and the, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they allowed a lot of business transactions to happen in the temple, which was not, was not appropriate. And so Jesus clears the temple, and they begin to get upset because they're, Jesus is beginning to mess with what they thought was okay. They didn't think he had the authority to do that. You ever know when you get off track, and, and someone comes in and tries to get you back on track, you don't always appreciate it. Yeah. Can you relate to that? Let me give you some classic examples. A younger Christian uh, saying something to an older Christian about putting God first. Ooh. Like, oh, it's a, it's a classic. Oh, wait, wait. I've been around 20 years. <laughs> you know. He says, hey, why do you always come consistently to church? And you're like, well, you don't understand. I have four children. You know, we, it's a classic example. We get very defensive when someone comes to point out something. Or an older Christian with older kids and then younger Christian or younger parents who have smaller kids and they point some out in your children or your concept of parenting. And that comes out, that brings out some. I've been around longer, you don't have the experience. Or younger single Christians don't, not understanding why married, married Christians stop taking their wife on dates. They go, oh, well, well bro, we're married. See? Married. We go on dates every day, we have dinner every day. <laughs> Try telling your wife that one. When we get off track, we get used to being off track. 
It gets comfortable being off track. You're, you're headed in the same direction per se, but you're off track. You're not on the tracks. And someone could say something about what you're doing, and you may not like that. And this is kind of what this, the situation Jesus is confronted with. He's not liking what's being done to the temple, and he does something about it, and then the reaction is hostile. This is the context of what's about to happen. So in Luke 20, let's read together in verse 1. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts, preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority you are doing, you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he'll ask them, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, then all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. And Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also was beaten and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He still sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And then the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be! Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But he whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus gets asked a question, but he also asks them a question. And he gives them this parable. And he quoted this prophecy. In each of these segments of the, of the, of the Luke 20 account, he attaches a story to it. Because the story illustrated the truth. And what he's illustrating to these, to these men who, who thought being off track, they, were, they got comfortable with it. They didn't like someone coming in and, and roughing up or, or messing with what they thought was right. And a lot of times, that's what Jesus is trying to do in your, His relationship with you. He's trying to get you back on track. And He uses many different situations. People, interaction, church, a lesson, a quiet time. And He's trying to get us back on track. So maybe this vineyard will help us. 
So what he's pointing out was their past, number one, their past rejection. Look in verse 3. I will ask you a question. Tell me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? You know, they discussed it and they, they were going, they were, kind of, they were kind of caught. If we say yes, we're busted. If we say no, we're busted. So they played dumb. And so Jesus doesn't answer their question. But Jesus goes back to John's ministry because they rejected John's message. They, they would not repent. They would not change. And it's a very scary place to be in when you feel you're so spiritual, you won't accept a call to repent. It is a very scary place to be where you can't really see your weaknesses. It's, just, it's very scary to say, he's off. He doesn't really understand my situation. And John pointed the Pharisees and everybody else to Jesus. This is the Lamb of God, he said in John. So the rejection of John included the rejection of Jesus. And it's a spiritual principle that if we disobey truth that we already know, God cannot real, reveal new truth to us. And I, I want to reference uh, John, John 7. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from Him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You know, you cannot learn something new if you've not believed or obeyed what you've already been taught. And a lot of times, we get older as Christians, Christians and we want, we want the, what's the newest insight? Give me something deep. You'll get that when you've already obeyed what you do know. That's how insight comes. It doesn't come with you not changing, not repenting, and then you want to gather more information. Because it does nothing to change your life. But when you're obeying the, the truth you heard before, and you add to that, you get more wisdom, more insight, more knowledge. But watch yourself. Because that makes you puffed up if you're not obeying the truth. So why answer their question when they refuse to listen to John's message? If they had disobeyed God's message given by John the Baptist, they would disobey the message given by God's Son. That was the theme of the parable. Maybe you grew up religious, but now your life is that one that goes against the teachings of Jesus. You know, if you're visiting here with us, maybe you've gone to church most of your life. But is it the teachings of Jesus you're following? You know, if you're a Christian, a disciple with us, you know, you've been coming to church for 10, 15, 30 years. But are you following the teachings of Jesus? You know, we can get into a rut of just coming to church and coming to midweek and giving money here and donating here and giving a toy here, but not really following the teachings of Jesus. You know, we like, we like to pick and choose what we like to follow. But it goes easy for our nature. Oh, I'm, I'm, it, it comes to me easy. I can do this. But many times the teachings of Jesus, it calls us to change because it's hard to change. It's difficult to change. We don't want to change. And that's where God's trying to get us to look at. What are the hardest parts to change? What are the most difficult parts to change? You know, one of the things that were hardest for me was reacting to my children when I'm irritated. It's so easy to let it go a little further than you were when, if you were talking to a Christian. You know, talking to a Christian, you're like, oh, I'm going to be patient, brother. With your kids, you're like, I told you before. And you look at them like, 
And then the kids are oh, all scared and crying. And that was my dynamic with my son Jaden. I would just get irritated and I would just look at him like, and he, you know, he, he would really be frightened of me. And then Karen had to have this conversation with me about, he's like, hey, you are scaring the children. But I wouldn't say anything any loud. It was just that look. It's that crazy look. Like, you know that look, parents. I get crazy. You look at them, you're like, oh, you, death is upon you. Death is near to you. I mean, you're looking at... It's a crazy look. And we each ever have our own look, but my look was pretty crazy. Or my tone would, would be sharp, or I'd make sure I wasn't yelling, but my tone would be so intense. That it would, it, I would force obedience through fear. Instead of talking. And discussing. And that's something I really had to work on the last year and a half. Just really working on not reacting when I'm the most irritated. When you've told them before, you showed them before, you've trained them before, and they go ahead and do the same thing. And it's that, it's that challenge. And at first I was like, nah, I can't be. She had to say it a couple of times, like, you need to really look at that. And I was able to, to see that going, wow, I see it. You know, for some of you in that picture, you saw that picture show last night, the very first picture was my scared look of, of, of being, in, being five years old and the photographer lady scared me. And she snapped a picture in the middle of my fake smile fear look. And that's the look that my son gives me when I get super intense. And I'm looking at him. And he knows. He has this weird, weird like look on his face. like, And he's trying to discern... Is, am I going to get it? Or is he going to, you know, he's just not sure what, what's going to come out of my mouth. It's that kind of look. And that's the look that humbled me. And I'm grateful that I was off track. But your wife, if you're married, is a great helper to get you on track. Because she sees all the nooks and crannies of your relationship. She does. Do not harden your heart today when you hear this message. Because Jesus is trying to help you get back on track. We are about to enter in the most frenzied season of our life. And that is the Christmas season. Where everyone is going to be nice. And their version of Christianity can be so tempting to make it our version of Christianity. We're not called to be nice. We're not called to be mean either. Oh, amen. amen. Don't take that. Don't take, oh, he's a nice. Well, I'm not, you know, no, don't take it that way. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. Amen. We're not called just to be, oh, like this morning I bought a card for us to thank a couple for the party. And, you know, the guy had many, many things in line, you know, and I had one card. I just, reading out, looking at the magazine, like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that they were getting a divorce. That's interesting. You know, reading the, reading the magazine racks. And the guy goes, hey, do you only have one thing? I said, yes, it is. Well, come on over in front. And I was like, oh, that's very nice of you. Walked in front, paid for it. Said, sir, thank you very much for being, you know, for doing that. He's like, oh, no problem. No problem. And I'm thinking, that's how I would like to be my whole life, just to be nice. And never say, hey, go deeper. Hey, how's it going? Just to be nice. It's so tempting just to be nice. But that's not what we're called to be. Right. Now, be nice, but take it further. Yeah. Yeah. Be hospitable, but take it beyond. You know, they're, they're, they're past rejection. 
They rejected John, and therefore they rejected Jesus. Now look at their present rebellion. Look in verse 9. He went on to tell them this parable. This is the parable. A man planted a vineyard, he rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. Right? God has not come back yet. At the harvest time, he sent his servant to his tenants that would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they beat him. They beat three of them. Then he thought, I'm going to send them my son. I'm going to put my son in harm's way. But I'm going to send him anyway because I'm thinking they're going to respect him. But when the owner of the vineyard sees that they, they throw a son out and they kill him, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. You know, it's an amazing parable. You can find it also in Matthew 21. And Jesus draws this parable. If you put your little, your little marker in, this, in, in, in Luke 20 and turn to Isaiah chapter 5, you're going to see that he tries to really instruct the religious people using the word of God and the principles of the vineyard. And look at Isaiah 5 because he draws from this text or this, this, this uh, theme of the vineyard and the vine being the father and he tries to give them a parable that, that really ties it in, that really explains to them that he has been the one that has been sent from God. And he's trying to get that message to them. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah writes, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and cut out a winepress as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it only yielded bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem, and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? Then I looked for good grapes. Why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to that vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. You know, it's a song, and the words in the song are spoken by God. And he's, and he's telling this account. And Jesus ties this into a parable to, get them a, to give them a message. That in this song, Isaiah pictured his loved one, God, planting a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Removing the stones, clearing the way, planting the best vines. He builds a watchtower, a stone structure to, to guard the vineyard. He puts a wine, a wine press in anticipation of producing good wine. However, only poor grapes grew. Bad tree bears bad fruit, good tree bears good fruit. He asked the people of Judah to judge between the situation. They were, to, they were to tell whether the bad grapes were the fault of the vineyard owner or not. What more could I have done? I send you servants. You know, God sent the prophets in the Old Testament. 
They were killed and outcasted. God sends His Son, and here He is. Boom! God is always trying to find ways to get His message to you. He, find, he does it in the most unique ways at times. In this text, He uses Jesus. He sends His Son. And we can so easily become like this. After being given life through our faith and being baptized, we want to follow God on our own terms. We, want the, we become the vineyard that produces bad fruit because we're off track and we like it. Sometimes you can feel so justified because you come to church. I'm not falling away. I'm not leaving the Lord. Yeah, but you're off track. We're trying to help you. And we get so stuck on, but I'm doing this and this and this. It's not about perfection. It's about your attitude when challenged. It's about the humility. Without humility, you will not make it in the end. Because humility is the key to longevity as a Christian. Always being humble. Always trying to stay humble. Even when it's hard. Even when you heard the same thing over and over again. Even when the second person has pointed out what the first person pointed out. Yeah, bro, I heard that ten minutes ago. Sometimes it's hard. Accepting the cane. It's, it's humility. You gotta accept it. Amen. Getting old. It's part of the process. We can allow the world's version of Christianity to become ours so easily. So tempting. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? You know, instead of being grateful for the blessings and joyfully giving the Lord His fruit from our lives, His people, the ones in this, in this text, they decided to rob God. And reject his messengers. When you read the Old Testament, you, you read about the saddest rejections of God's heart to try to help us or help you know our, our forefathers understand God's heart. In many ways, you see so much grace God gives gives the people. A lot of times, we have this misconception that God is some kind of you know angry God in the Old Testament. He is, he is so much more gracious than people give him credit for when you read the, when you read the scriptures. Over and over and over again. He mourns. He cries. He sends people. Think about who He sent in your life this year. Who has God sent to you in 2010? Who did He send? Maybe you got an email or a phone call. Who did He send? And think about this in, in, in 2000, sorry, 2011. Where's that came? Where's that came? Where's that came back? You know, God sends people to rescue us through friendships. But let me tell you something that's, that's interesting. Uh, we tend to flock to people we get along with. And I believe, I believe to a certain extent that it helps. But to maximize growing, it's people that you don't see eye to eye with at times that help you grow the most. They're not like you. Because when, you, when, when you're like, with a group of like-minded people, it, it, it kind of stunts the growth. You need another person to kind of add, hey, that, that sees another, another perspective. And I think I find that in my relationships. It's, it's nice to hang around people you kind of enjoy hanging around. But you can find yourself not growing spiritually. And then you see this other person going, oh no, he's always there. That's, that's how you grow. That's how it happens. 
You know, I didn't see it that way. I didn't like how he said it, but I see his point. You know, you start, when you start being humble, going, his delivery was horrible, but the message was, was true. Mm-hmm. You start seeing things a little differently. Not everyone delivers the message the way you want it to be delivered. Yeah. Right? So you always want to remember, treat others the way you want to be treated. Remember that? Yeah. But delivery still stinks sometimes. It happens. <laughs> it happens. You know, throughout the New Testament, Old Testament, I'm going to read you a few scriptures. Don't turn there. Nehemiah, write them down. Nehemiah 9.26. I'm going to read this to you. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. That's in Nehemiah's time when he's trying to build the wall. Jeremiah 7. From the time your forefathers left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. You know, God sent people. And God has taught us what it means to be Christians. He gave us the teachings of Jesus. And God is expecting good fruit from our lives. He expects it. If you have children, you expect them to obey your teaching. Right? Even your mannerisms, right? Don't burp at the table. Don't do this. Don't, be, don't, don't toot at the table, son. It's disturbing. You know, even your little mannerisms. Wash your hands very commend. Did you wash your hands? You know? I'm just giving you my little family insight. We wash our hands all the time. Amen. We're clean. Come on, Karen. Come on, Karen. <laughs> so if God is if God is expecting fruit from our lives, where is your fruit? Your fruit is not for people. It's not for me. It's for God. Your fruit is not for your Bible talk leader house. Your fruit is for God. It's not about man. It's about a relationship with God. Fruit is found in obeying His teachings. It's easy to study the Bible. It's easy to to go and, and read Bible dictionaries. It's easy to get a false sense of security by just reading and knowing what the Bible says. But when you have to obey them, that's where the friction starts. That's where the tension gets created. That's where the question is, am I committed to obedience? Am I committed to obeying the words of Jesus? Am I still committed to denying myself? Am I still committed to those things? Am I still committed to saving people who are lost? Am I still committed to that? You know, this holiday season is a true test for our Christianity. For years, some of us maybe just, oh, it's holidays too. I can't wait to offer the service ends because I'm just going to go on a spiritual, you know, vacation until January. And then, then I'm going to get excited about God again. I've done that. We've done that. And the, the, the kickoff of the year is going to really revitalize me. And some of us won't even make it till January. Because when you have that attitude, you go into dark places. You know, it's a call to do it God's way, not your way. Obedience keeps you in the vine, right? John 15. Relationships. And sometimes most of our problems start in relationships. If you have a relationships problem, ask yourself, am I in the vine? If I have financial problems, ask yourself, am I in the vine? 
Marriage problems, are you in the vine? Parenting problems, are you in the vine? Dating problems, are you in the vine? And then when God sends someone to you, you can respond with your own version of Christianity. And you reject the messenger. You know, the older you become as a Christian, sometimes the harder it is to listen. Because in one way, you think you know, I got this, man, I got it covered, G. I'm good. But it's, you, you should feel a sense of, I, I'm, I, I'm tested by this, I'm challenged by this. We all should. And this parable is for all of us. That we need to be Christians during a season when most people just want to be nice. And we're not called to be nice. We're called to be followers. And sometimes that, 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 can, make a, make, that can make the friendship with our religious friends kind of awkward. But if you never cross that bridge, they'll never have a chance. Your niceness can only take you so far. And I've experienced that. I've been nice to a lot of people. Amen. And they still haven't studied the Bible or come to church at all. Because I have not yet crossed the bridge going, Hey, do you, do you want to study with me the Bible? And then I, I, I advance the conversation. But if we just want to be nice and help each other with their, their kids and have a great you know, neighborhood, you've accepted their version of Christianity. Yeah. But our version of Christianity, the Bible's version of Christianity is, hey, let's cross that bridge. Since they've come out of their house and says, hey, neighbor, for the first time ever, hey, it's Christmas, how are you doing? That's your opportunity. To be nice, to build a relationship, but also to cross the bridge with the Word of God. And have, and have a Bible study. Have a prayer time. Have something where it advances the gospel of Jesus. In whatever way is wise and you deem correct, but your goal is to advance the gospel of Jesus. There's not one way to skin a cat. Right? There's many ways of of doing it. You've got to find that way, but you understand your goal is that I'm going to try to help this person become a disciple. And sometimes that means challenging a little bit of their lifestyle. You know, a lot of times our friends, you know, they never come to church because no one ever says to them, wow, your life's kind of busy. Maybe you should pull it back and focus on something more important. That's an uncomfortable conversation to have with your neighbor, right? But I'm telling you, it crosses the bridge. Otherwise, you're just playing nice all the time. And nothing happens. And look at verse 17, and we'll close out. Their future ruin. Jesus looked directly at them. Can you imagine that? that if you had it, saw that in a video on HD, what that would look like? Jesus looking directly at them and saying this. This is what the meaning of what is written. Then what is, what is meant by the meaning of what is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. You know, he's warning them that they would only be destroyed if they condemn his teaching. And that same principle applies today. We should be very careful to heed the warning of Jesus and not embrace another version of Christianity. There is no other version other than one that you know. It's very simple. 
It's very concise. Baptism is very clear. But you'll hear, you'll hear hundreds and hundreds of people deny it. Write it off. Call it something else. I've had these conversations over the last several weeks with people that once believed it as a Christian. But now they're accepting another version of Christianity. Because they're out of the vine. You know, he quoted from Psalm 118. And this was a, this was a messianic psalm and they knew it. And Jesus was applying it to himself and they were like, no way. Jesus was telling them, I'm the Messiah. And the builders were the Jewish religious leaders. In the Old Testament, they get a stone they don't like, they throw it out. But they're throwing out Jesus. But what they threw out was the cornerstone, the capstone, the most important part of the building. They felt challenged by Jesus and they stumbled over it. Don't stop having your quiet times during the holidays. Next week we're going to have an awesome play. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be glorious. Don't stop having your quiet times and banking on a Sunday lesson just to fill your cup. It doesn't work. It works for the short term, but not for the long term. You'll begin to stumble. For those who trusted Jesus, that's you. He became the cornerstone of the church. This is what we must follow during the chaotic times of holidays is we must stick to, follow, embrace wholeheartedly the teachings of Jesus. And you only know what they are by spending time in the Word. The quality of your quiet times is important. What you're getting out of it is important. What you're applying is important. And I want to encourage you not to sacrifice or give up your quiet times. Your time with God. Especially during this season. And when you're challenged to follow and obey Jesus, to trust His teaching, to put yourself in an unnatural state, it can be hard to respond to that. Because we naturally want things that go with who we are. Want to be sacrificial? I like being sacrificial. But going against what we are. I want to challenge us during this season to be evangelistic. To share your faith with not only friends, neighbors, acquaintances, co-workers, but strangers. I'll give, you, I'll give you a whole array of different people you can reach out to. People who are doing it for years, for two months, for one month. But there's always that guy who, who needs to be shared with that you, have, you know nothing about. Some of you became Christians because of that principle. I know it's about relationship, and that's all good. You want to keep having different layers. But sometimes, it's just one-on-one, mono-mono in the parking lot. You're going, it's me against him spiritually. I'm going to go get him. And you just go do it. And you just go, hey, excuse me. How are you doing? And you do it. Because that's living the Christian life. It's not always just letting people cut in front of you. That's nice, but how about now, Bubba? And I want to encourage you to do it, to live that way. During these next several weeks, your relationship with God, this parable, God has given us so much. The vineyard is good. Your fruit is good. Show God 
that good fruit in your life. Humble yourself or you'll be humbled. In the time of our Christmas season, people need to hear gospel. The time of the season, they hear more stuff on, 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 on the internet, on their TV, about what Christmas is, and it's a lie. Let's give them something that will really rescue their lives. Let God look down at this vineyard, this portion of His vineyard, the Shoreline Church. And I want Him to say, and I know you want Him to say this too, that that's some good fruit down there. That's some really good fruit. You know, this church needs to be committed to one thing, and that's God. But here's our second challenge. One of our greatest challenges in this church is the, is the economic system that we live in. And to really grow a vineyard, to grow it for God, we have to be committed to the mission field here. And it's very tempting to move out with jobs. It's, that, that's been our struggle for the last five years. We've had 35 people move because of jobs. And it's been our challenge. But I believe God has put us here to grow the vineyard. To extend. And I want to encourage you to think in those terms. To think about being here when it's hard. For the long term. To see this through. We have to think that way. If we're going to grow that way. Not just, hey, it's tough. Yeah, I know sometimes it's tough. But we've got to start being committed in that respect. To really growing the Shoreline Church and the Vineyard and get all the way up to San Luis Obispo. Amen. We have three Christians up there just hanging on by a thread. We got to get up there. We got to grow more here and throw a few grapes over there. How here, bro, bro, And get that spirit back of like, hey, I want to go up to grow the Vineyard. Thinking in those terms, extending our church. This is... The teachings of Jesus. That he sent his son down. And here's the message. Don't reject him. But embrace it. And there you'll have life. To the full. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory.